it was a interview that was done back years ago with someone who had actually been uh, enslaved here and had gone through the Civil War and everything. And someone asked him that question. They said, when did you feel like that you were free? And this is what he said. He said, I knew I was free when I told the man, I am not going to do what you want me to do. Externally, I was still in bondage, but inside... I was free. Well, this morning, I want to talk about that kind of freedom that takes place inside our soul. The kind of freedom that only God can give to us. The kind of freedom that Paul talks about here in Galatians, the fifth chapter. The fifth chapter is all about freedom. It's all about knowing when you are free, knowing that you are free in Jesus Christ. The first 13 verses, Paul is talking about the fact of freedom, that God has made us free in Christ, that we are free from the bondage of the law. But then starting in verse 13, he starts talking about the practical outworkings of this. How do you know that you are free, which is another way of saying, how do you know that you really are following Jesus Christ? How do you know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? How do you know that God has made a reality in your life, that which we proclaim with our lips, that which we hear proclaimed by others, that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. How do you really know that you're experiencing that freedom in Christ? So this morning, the question is, how do you know, how do I know that we are truly free. And I want to talk about three things this morning uh, in the time that we have. The three things are this, and and I'll just give them to you now uh, so that, uh, you know, you'll have these down in case uh, during the sermon you get distracted by something like people playing with balloons or something like that. Um, The three things that I want to talk about this morning are these. You know that you're truly free when you live a life of service to others. You know you are truly free when you are living a life of conflict with the world. You know that you're truly free when you're living a life of humility before the Lord. So those are the three things, service to others, conflict with the world, and humility before the Lord. So let's get started this morning. You know you are really free when you are living a life of service to others. Now, a moment ago, we read Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14 as a part of our responsive reading from the New King James Version. I want to read that again. So just listen. I'm not going to put it up here, but I want you to listen because it uses a little bit different phraseology, but it's very interesting what Paul says here. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to serve one another. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the freedom that we've been called to in Christ. Now, those are great, great ideas to love your neighbor, to serve your neighbor. But how does it really work out in life? Let me ask you this. If you're in a parking lot and somebody walks up to you and offers to give you something or wants to help you do something, somebody that you've never met before, they want to be really, really helpful to you. They want to do something for you. They want you to have something, and they don't want anything back from you at all. What goes on in your head? You're thinking, okay, what's the angle, right? 
This person can't just be wanting to do something for me for nothing. There's got to be something going on. What's the scam that they're working here? You see, deep down inside, we are suspicious of this idea that people are just going to love me for nothing. The people are just going to want to serve me for nothing. As a matter of fact, the more natural thing is not service, but rather it is that we are always looking for people trying to angle what they're doing to benefit themselves. It was interesting, several years ago, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, talking about millennials entering into the workplace, and this is what it said. By age 26, most millennials want to be the boss. Even if it's just the boss of themselves, they would rather do a startup of one than having to work with others. Now, you know, we've even seen this in our Southern Baptist life. That we'll have pastors coming out of seminary, and rather than going on a staff of a church and serving with someone like Dr. Jim Cooley, like Dr. Jeff Stith, they'll want to go out and start their own little church somewhere. And it's a great thing. We need new church starts. But so often I have this suspicion that what they really want is nobody telling them what to do. Because if you're the new pastor, you know, you're the new sheriff in town. You're the one that's calling all the shots. It's just something that is natural in us that we want to be in charge and that we don't really have this benevolent, love your neighbor, take care, serve one another kind of attitude that Paul talks about. As a matter of fact, verse 15 of Galatians 5 really talks about what is natural to human beings. Paul says this, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Who's he talking to, church? He's talking to us. He's talking to the Galatians. He said, if you have this attitude of not service, but rather basically looking out for yourself, what eventually will happen is that you're just going to simply bite and devour one another. I had a great professor when I was at Southwestern Seminary by the name of Jack McGorman. He was from Scotland. And uh, Jack would talk about this passage of, uh, in Galatians, and he had a poem that he can only, you know, hearing someone with a Scottish brogue do anything is just great. But he had this poem that he loved to read when he would come to this point in Galatians. And the poem goes like this. I'm not going to do the accent, by the way. But in your mind, you can just imagine it. There once were two cats from Kilkenny who each thought there was one cat too many. So they fought and they fit and they scratched and they bit till except for their nails and the tips of their tails, instead of two cats, there weren't any. And Jack used to stand back and he would say, that's what Paul was concerned about in the church. That because there was this attitude of we don't serve anybody, we only serve ourselves, that that was destroying the church. You see, service to one another is both the route and the evidence of Christian freedom of walking in the Spirit. As a matter of fact, this is what Paul says in Galatians 5.13. And it's rather paradoxical. You know, the Bible is full of paradoxes. To be first, you have to be last. To be the greatest, you have to be the least. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, which means to do what you want, but through love serve one another. What's Paul saying? You are free to once again put yourself in a position of slavery. You are free in order that you might use that freedom to do what? To serve other 
people. So are you really free? Paul would say, yes, that's exactly what you are because you are putting yourself in the kind of freedom that Christ gives that enables us to serve one another. You use your freedom to once again become a slave to those who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the passages that I love, one of the parables that Jesus told uh, was in Luke, the 17th chapter, verses 7 through 10. Listen to what it says. Paul says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? Listen to this. So also you, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. This is what God has called us to. We so often think of service in terms of I choose who I serve, where I serve, and when I serve. Paul said, no, service to the Lord means that God chooses who you serve, when you serve, where you serve. And that service is to be out of love and is to be a continual service to those who are all around and about us. One man once said that the measure of a man's greatness is not the number of servants he has, but the number of people that he serves. So I ask you, me, how many people in our lives are we truly serving in the Lord? That means that we have given up our freedom to allow them to be the ones who tell us what they need that we might serve them. So living the life as a true follower of Jesus Christ means that you are living a life of service to others. It also means this, and probably because of that, that it means that you'll also be living a life that is full of conflict with the world, with the world that is around you. You know, I, I love this uh, series that came out called The Chosen. Some of you seen that series, I guess. You know what I love about it? This is what I love about it. I love the beginning credits. You know why? Because that's really us. By the way, we're the bluefish. You know, when someone comes to Jesus Christ, what happens immediately is that they turn, and which way are they going? They're going against the stream. They're fighting uphill. They're going against everything that the world and our culture, everyone around us says that we should be doing. But when we find ourselves following Christ, one of the evidences of that is that we come into conflict with the world. Here Paul talks about that the desires of the flesh in verse 19 and the works of the flesh, which says to us that it is both an internal and an external conflict. It is what happens inside of us with the desires. It's what happens because of that with the deeds of the flesh. Let me, uh, let me just read those verses to you in verses 16 through 19 of, uh, of Galatians. And Paul says this in this list. But I say to you, do walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, angers, envy, uh, darkness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I've warned you before, before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, most of us have memorized the verse that comes after that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering. Right. 
How many of us have memorized the deeds of the flesh? I dare say not any of us. But that doesn't mean that we're not unfamiliar with it, does it? You know, it's interesting, that last verse in there, verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other from keeping you to do, doing the things that you want to do. It is those things that we do that make us, that make us, come in conflict with a world that is around us. You see, the problem is that this internal desire always becomes external. I want to do everything that I want to do. I want to be the one who is in control of my own life. I want to do everything that my desires tell me that I want to do. That's very problematic for us. Because in the first place, how many of us really know what we desire to do? Have you thought about that? Um, You know what I desire? I desire to be healthy. I desire to be strong. I desire to have a six-pack abs. But you know what else? I desire to eat ribeye steak. I want to have ice cream every night. And I will eat anything that is wrapped in bacon. Now, you know what? Those are both legitimate desires in my heart. But the problem is, I don't always know which desire to choose. A lot of times, too, we'll say to people, you know, I should be able to do anything I want as long as it does not hurt anyone else. But the problem is, we don't know how our conduct is going to affect those people who are around us. Paul gives us this list of all of these things that are the, the, the deeds of the flesh that come out of the, the desires that are inside of our heart. But I want you to notice something about this list as we look at verse 21. He talks about envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who do live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is an amazing, insightful look at the human soul, this entire list. But let me tell you three things about this list. One, it's not a complete list. Uh, These are just examples. I mean, you could come up with other things on your own, things that aren't missing, that are missing here, gluttony, murder, lying. That's why verse 21 ends with the phrase, and the like. Paul's saying, I'm just giving you a little bit of a list, a little bit of a sample of what goes on in the human heart. The second thing that we know is that this is not a checklist. That is to say, it's not just check one box off of here and and you're out. He says those who practice such things. In other words, he's talking about a systematic style of life. All of us get caught up in different deeds of the flesh. But Paul says these are just the kinds of things that if it becomes a lifestyle, you're not really going to be following Jesus Christ. The third thing about this list is this, and this is not, that this is not a checklist. How many of you are list makers? Do y'all make lists? We found out last week that uh, there's some lists made in the Owen household, right? Uh, I don't normally do checklists, but Susan does for me. So I don't have to do checklists. Someone asked me recently, they said, how are you enjoying retirement? I said, I have swapped one job for another. Uh, And it's a good job. It's a good job. But my checklist has now become my daily work. And I tell you what, I love nothing better than to find an old checklist and look at it and realize I've done everything on that list. And I can just crumple it up and throw it away. You think that the deeds of the flesh are like that? No. Because it is a constant struggle, 
a constant struggle. That's why when Paul talks to them about this, he says to them that this checklist, this list is, he said, I warn you now as I did before. Why? Paul kept having to come back to this same idea and say, remember this, remember this. This is a constant battle. You see, people talk about temptation knocking. It doesn't just knock. It leans on the doorbell. There's a constant battle that goes on within us against the deeds of the flesh, the desires of the heart, finding themselves into the deeds that we do day in and day out. But what this list does tell us is this, that it reminds us that there is a, of our continual dependency upon Jesus Christ. And you see, that is the good news, that we are reminded in verse 24 that those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. You see, that's what freedom in Christ means. That it is God who works within us, both for the internal desires and the external expressions, that it is God who works within us. Now, the battle still rages, but aren't you glad that with the Apostle Paul, after he talked about all the things that were going on in his life in Romans 7, he said, who can deliver me from the body of death? We can say with Paul, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He gives us the victory over those things that are in our lives. But it is a, a conflict. How do you know that you're following the Lord? Well, you're trying to serve others. You're trying to put your life in service to others. And because of that, you're having this conflict with the world that is around you. Because that's not, folks, that's not normal. But the third thing is this, and that is that as we try to serve the Lord, we know we're truly free when we are living a life of humility with the Lord. Living a life of humility with the Lord. Now, Paul says here in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now, that word conceited is a very interesting word. You know, I love, I love words in the original language. Conceited is actually sort of a, a hyphenated word. The King James has it a little bit more right than anyone else that talks about, let us not be vainglorious. Let us not have vainglory because it's a, a, com a combined word. It's the word kenodoxa. Keno is from kenosis, which means to be empty. Uh, doxa means to glorify, to boast. He says, don't be guilty of empty boasting, of empty boasting and provoking one another and envying one another. Paul constructed this word. He only uses it here. None other of his epistles, nowhere else in the New Testament. Paul says, do not be conceited. Why? Well, we learned two things, and I'm really grateful to Tim Keller, who passed away recently for this great insight. He said, the first thing we learn is this, that the human ego is empty and as a result is in great pain, that the human ego is empty and as a result is in great pain. You know, you've heard people say that God has created within us this hole that only he can fill. There's this emptiness. And we try to stuff everything that we can think about in that hole. But because nothing fits, because nothing fills it, that hole is there. You think about a body that's bloated and there's just this, because of that emptiness, there is this great pain. And the reason the ego is such a prominent part of, of our lives, is such a prominent part of our interaction with other people, is because being empty, it is in great, great pain. You know, it, it's, that, it's that thing about you don't even notice something in your body, right? Until it's in pain. I was sitting out yesterday 
on my back deck under the gazebo in my hammock. It's a great day. Sitting there in my shorts. I would like to say I was studying my sermon, but I wasn't. I was looking at my phone. And little did I realize, because I haven't been down there in a long time, that above the gazebo fan, in the very apex of the gazebo, some wasps had built a nest. And so, with that fan disturbing their tranquility, they decided to disturb mine, and I had three wasps go down my shorts. <laughs> now, when I was laying there in that hammock, up to that point, I had not thought a thing about my legs. I wasn't sitting there thinking, boy, my legs feel great. This is such a wonderful feeling. My legs just feel so relaxed. But let me tell you something. Once the wasps got in there, all I could think about was my legs because they were in great pain. You see, that's, that's the ego. You think about why do people make such a big deal about who they are and what they're doing. You know, our kids are getting ready to go to Japan, so their house is chaotic. They're packing stuff up. Everybody's doing everything. And all of a sudden, the three-year-old the other day yelled out, Stop! I want to talk about me! <laughs> and that really, that's really kind of how we are, right? I mean, because we're in such great pain. Now, because it's empty and great pain, the second thing we learn is this, that because of that, the ego is both busy and very fragile. It's busy because we're always trying to fill up that emptiness. And the way that we do it is through that envying and boasting. You know, we, we see people around us and we're envious because they're doing well. Or we see people around us and we realize, hey, I'm doing better than them. And so we're boasting about that, just provoking. And so Paul said, don't be conceited. Provoking and envying. Those are the two natural things that happen because we're trying to, to fill up that emptiness, that empty ego that is within inside, uh, inside of us. And because of that, we become so very, very fragile. We're the ones that are shouting, I want to talk about me to whoever might hear our voice. But there is some good news this morning. The good news is this. God wants to talk about you too. God wants to talk about you, but in a very different way. God wants to know what he wanted to know that day when he was with his disciples on the Galilean Sea. You remember the story, John 21, and Peter had been restored to fellowship Peter had just had an amazing encounter with the Lord, amazing encounter with the Lord, had been restored back to being a disciple, told that he was going to be the one who would be feeding the sheep of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he, uh, he kind of let Peter know what was going to be happening to him. And what did Peter do? Immediately, he started thinking about him, and he looked over at John, and he said, what about him? You remember that? What's going to happen to him? Remember what Jesus said? Peter, that's none of your business. You follow me. You know, that's what the Lord says to us all this morning. He says, don't worry about what's going on around you. You just follow me. That means, are you living a life in service to others? Are you living a life that is evidencing this conflict with the world because of your love and service of others? Are you living a life where you are really walking in humility because you know that what God has called you to do, only God can do in you and through you? 
You see, God really does want to talk about us. He wants to talk with us. You know, just like with the kids a moment ago, he wants us just to be quiet, to let him whisper to us perhaps the most important thing that we'll ever hear in a service. When God says to us, are you really following me? Are you serving other people around you? Have you given your life as a servant? Are you really living a life where you are in conflict with the rest of the world? Are you living a life that is walking humbly with your God? This morning, as God has brought you here to this place, I wonder how you would answer that question. Are you, are you really following the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, this morning, I would invite you to come and to make that decision, to make it publicly. Uh, Jesus always called those who followed him to come publicly and to make that decision uh, something that all others knew about so that they could pray for, for them, so that they could rejoice with them, so that they could join alongside of them. That may be the decision you need to make this morning. It may be that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you realize, you know, my life, if I, if I counted up the number of people that I really serve with my life, it would be hard for me to really establish that I'm following the Lord who gave his life as a ransom, who gave his life to serve. This morning, we're going to stand together and sing this song softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. As you stand and as we sing, you come this morning. Whatever God's told you to do, you do. been a good service today, a good day to be in the Lord's house. 
this evening, our service at 5 o'clock will be down in our fellowship hall just below here. If you're concerned about not being able to find it, just stay right here until 5. We'll come get you and take you down there. Uh, tonight, uh, we have uh, Daryl Cook who will be bringing the message. So I, I said something to Susan. She asked me this morning. She said, uh, so who is going to be doing this message tonight? And I said, Daryl. She said, oh, good. So uh, I, I hope. And she didn't say that when I told her I was preaching this morning. So you all just draw your own conclusions. We are glad that the Lord has led you here this day, and uh, as we pray, as we're dismissed, I just commend you to the Lord and to a life of service. Uh, let's pray together, and then we'll sing one final song. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have called us to a life of being in service to you through Jesus Christ, a life, Father, that allows us to, even in the face of conflict in the world, to know, Father, that we are long, walking alongside of you, that we have you, Father, to encourage us, to strengthen us. And, Father, certainly a life of humility, uh, realizing that nothing that you have called us to do are we able to do in and of ourselves, that, Father, is because we know the Lord Jesus Christ and because he is the one who gives us power and strength and purpose. Father, bless us, we pray, as we go from this place, that we might live a life full of service and love to one another. We ask these things in Jesus' name.